Hey, good morning, everybody. Jade and I were talking the other day, and um, he said, Doug, I, I've just been watching you and your wife, and he said, you've just got this, I mean, you've been married for like 36 or whatever years, and I mean, even lately, I've been watching you, and you, you just say, when you talk with your wife, it's always honey and sweetheart and sweetie and my dear. And he said, how do, you, how do you maintain that kind of level of adoration and those terms of endearment after all these years? And he said, I just, I just really want to know your secret. And I kind of hung my head a little bit. And then I looked up at Jade and I said, well, about a year ago, I forgot her name. <laughs> you know, when you get older, things change a little bit. Oh, Donna. I remember. Okay. Attention to orders. Attention to orders. Thank you. You may be seated. With the exception of Sidron. I'm just kidding, brother. Those who are in or have served in the military understand that term. Attention to orders is a call to attention to receive orders. So I, I just, I, I wondered who would actually stand up. I was, that's why I repeated it twice. I was kind of looking at Hank like, you know, come on. Somebody get with this thing here. So remember that for the rest of this message, would you? I wanted to set the scene for what we're going to talk about today. When you're, when you're in the military, when you're in this, the active armed services, when the call to attention to orders is given, one stands, one is quiet, and one listens to the orders that are about to proceed. We've been talking, and we will talk next week, about Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. As the leaders remained in the presence of God, they heard the voice of God. When they obeyed the voice of God, their obedience initiated the assignment from God. The key point is that they heard the voice of God and they obeyed the commands God gave them. So in the presence of God, we hear the voice of God. When we obey the voice of God, we receive the assignments from God. Last week, Pastor Jade spoke of the presence of God. Next week, Dan Anderson will be talking about the assignments of God. And this week we're going to talk about the voice of God 
as it relates to the other two. There's a great deal of material in the scriptures related to hearing the voice of God. Many descriptions, many verses that speak of how exactly God communicates with his people. Verse after verse, paragraph after paragraph, experience after experience tells us how God speaks with his people. How he communicates with us. I'm not going to speak about that this morning. I'm going to assume that God is speaking to you and that you're picking up his communications. What I want to talk with you this morning is about what do we do when we hear his voice. I'm going to aim at several targets. Number one, within the context of the kingdom of God, what we do when we hear his voice, whether we ignore, disobey, or say yes to his voice, has a crucial impact on us, on the church, and on the world around us. Number two, within the context of the kingdom of God, our identity in Christ indicates how he will communicate with us. At the close of this message, I'm going to give each of us, myself included, an opportunity to respond to something that God has already spoken to us. I believe that God has spoken to each one of of us in this morning who call Jesus our Lord and who follow Jesus. At the close of this message, I want to give us an opportunity to revisit that communication from the Lord and respond to it. So let's talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. There are two views of the kingdom of God. There's a Western view and an Eastern view. Let's take a look at the kingdom of God from the Eastern, Western's perspective. In the Western understanding of the kingdom of God, the work of Jesus is seen as a transaction between the Father and the Son. Through Adam's sin, all of humanity has lost fellowship with the Father and is irreversibly, irrevocably cut off from fellowship with God. We will die in our sin and remain separated eternally from God. But suddenly, when the time was right, the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to cancel the penalty and the effects of sin by living a sinless life and dying on the cross as a substitution for our penalty of death. The work of Jesus is aimed towards the Father to redeem us in the justice of God from our sin and to bring us into personal relationship with him. John chapter three, verse 16, it's a classic verse that is the Western view of the kingdom of God, somewhat in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believeth in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, has anyone in here ever heard of um, the four spiritual laws? Okay, it's... It's not mentioned so much today, but it was first 20 or 30 years of my Christian walk, it was a big thing. The four spiritual laws were written by Bill Bright in 1952, the year of my birth. Bill Bright founded Campus Crusade for Christ, and the four spiritual laws are an explanation of salvation that are based upon the Western view of the kingdom. And they form the basis of 
most of what is taught today in the evangelical church, especially in America. So here are the four spiritual laws. One, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Two, man is sinful and separated from God, therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and God's plan for his life. Three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and his plan for your life. And finally, four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and his plan for our lives. See, in in this Western view, the, the personal relationship with God is stressed. Forgiveness and fellowship with God are the focus. Jesus offers himself to the Father as our redemption and the the sacrifice for our sins to satisfy the Father's judgment on us. Now, please hear me when I say this. The Western view of the kingdom of God is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. At the same time, it's not the complete understanding that we have of God's relationship with us. In the Western model, the church is seen as the functioning body of Christ, the Savior, left on the earth to minister redemption to the world and and the return of Christ. That's the view of the church in the Western model. Now, in the Eastern model, there's a slightly different focus. In the Eastern model of the kingdom, the church is seen as the army of Christ the King under his leadership to bring the presence of God to the world and thus advance his kingdom into enemy-held territory. The Western view is absolutely correct. We must be saved from our sin and that restoration with the Father, the relationship with the Father must be restored. The Eastern view is also absolutely correct and true. See, in the Eastern concept of the kingdom, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to take back the kingdom. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have been saved and we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus has defeated Satan and is in the process of ushering in the kingdom of God upon the earth. Now, some some bullet points of this view, they would go like this. God is the rightful ruler or king of the created universe. Men and women were created and blessed to rule the earth under, under, under God's authority. I mean, there's there's a lot of discussion about us being created to rule, um, but that discussion almost seems as though God says, just go do it on your own. You know, I mean, you're, anyway. It's under his authority. Who's that sneaking around behind me? Thank you, Daniel. Whoa. Build your house upon a firm foundation. Yay. 
Verily, not upon the sand. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were expelled from the presence and the kingdom of God. And because of sin, Satan now rules the earth. The earth on which we live is his kingdom. Colorado Springs is under the king, well, it's, it's in the kingdom of Satan. I, I know that that may sound kind of counterintuitive, it may sound strange to you, but Jesus said, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. He said, um, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus himself said, the ruler of this world is coming, who is the devil. And it's because of our sin that he was somehow allowed to ascend or to have this position. Our sin separates us from God and his kingdom so that we have become enslaved by Satan and we will die apart from God. John chapter 16, or chapter 14, I will not speak much, oh, sorry, 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Those who are not believers in Colorado Springs, they lie in the power of the evil one. My relatives in Missouri who don't know Jesus and are not following him, they don't know it, but they lie under the power of the evil one. But God still loves us and he sent Jesus Christ to defeat the devil and to deliver us from the kingdom of Satan and transfer us to the kingdom of God. If men and women want to enter into the kingdom of God, they must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. They must turn their back on the sins of the past and turn towards Jesus Christ, placing their faith in him and what he has done. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, the whole process is a turning from darkness to light. It's a taking from the kingdom of Satan and being transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. There is a movement from the enemy held territory to the territory held by Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom of God. Now here are some of the passages in the New Testament that talk about the Eastern view of the gospel. The son of God appeared for this purpose, 1 John 3, 8. The son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. By the way, these are just some of a bunch of verses that talk about this. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, 
Jesus was rendering powerless the devil. Now Jesus is God's son and he's also the warrior king. Commissioned by God to confront the devil, to crush his kingdom, to plunder his property, and to retake God's kingdom from him. Mark 3, 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So Jesus, had, he came, he bowed the strong man, and he's plundered his house. And what is the plunder that he took from his house? What is the plunder that he came to receive and to gather and to take forth from that house with him? Look at yourself. You are that plunder. He bound the strong man and he came to rescue you. And when you turned to him in faith, he transferred you from the domain of darkness and brought you into his kingdom. Now, the Western view is high on human responsibility for what goes wrong. We have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. I am responsible because I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. But the Eastern view implies also that we are victims of a power much greater than ours. Now, again, both of these are true. Yes, I am responsible for my sin. But yes, I was a victim and a bound captive of Satan for all those years. And he came and he rescued me. He saved me. Not just to a relationship with the Father, which is, I guess I say just, that that is enough. And yet he rescued me from the captured captivity, enslavement of the enemy and freed me from demonic oppression and brought me out into the light and freedom and gave me a message and he gave me a destiny and he gave me a purpose and he recruited me to his army. Now we're going to spend some time looking at the role in the identity of the believer as they relate to both the western and the eastern view of the kingdom. Now, in the Western view, the believer is saved to come into relationship with the Father. That relationship, that relationship is as a beloved son. So, in the Western view, your identity is a son and daughter of the Father. Let's look at some of the scriptures in that. Romans 8:15. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8:19. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 9, 26. There they shall be called sons of the living God. I like this one. I like them all, but I think you can like some scriptures even more than others. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Western concept of the kingdom, you are a son. And that's true. Unfortunately, it's not practically true in most of our lives. 
We are sons. Our identity is to be a son of the Father. But we don't walk that out. We don't understand it. So we've got a ways to go, each one of us on our individual journey, and we as a church on our collective journey, that we would walk in the sonship. Let's take a look at the Eastern view. In the Eastern view, the believer is rescued from the domain of Satan and recruited into God's army. Listen to this. Your identity is a warrior. Your identity is a warrior. You are warriors of the king. Let's look at some of these scriptures. Second Corinthy 2. Second Corinthy. That's in the book of misconceptions, I guess. You know what? My brain isn't functioning so well this week, but my spirit is going strong. I came back from the barber the other day and Donna said, you're taking this fasting thing seriously. You gave your, your hair a fast. Okay, 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Suffer hardship with me, Paul says to Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, finally, finally. In other words, to sum it up, at the end, here we go. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Who wears armor? Soldiers wear armor. Farmers don't wear armor. Nothing wrong with being a farmer. It's just that though Paul describes us in those terms, sometimes a good farmer, a good... Most of the New Testament points towards us being in the army, being soldiers who wear armor. 2 Timothy 2.3. We already read that. Revelations 19.19, I like this one. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse. That's the one called the word of God who is Jesus, our king, sitting on that white horse. And they wanted to make war not on him only, but and against his army. That's us following behind the Lord, our leader. So that's the Western view, I'm a son, and the Eastern view, I'm a warrior. And the total biblical view is this, a synthesis. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 through 15, I remember Pastor Jade even mentioning this and bringing this up and teaching us on this. When Abraham heard that his relatives had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, 
born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. Abraham's military expedition is a perfect example of the combined views of the kingdom of God today. He was utilizing sons, those born in his house, those born in his household, those of his household, who were also warriors, trained to fight. When we become followers of Jesus, our identity changes. We are now sons of the Father, and we are now warriors of the King. We are both sons and warriors. If you become a true son of the Father, one who genuinely walks out sonship to the Father, you will become a warrior. You cannot be, however, an effective warrior if you are not a true son. See, if we see ourselves as warriors of God, period, but are not walking in sonship, you know, sometimes we can do more damage than good. A warrior who is not a son, that's kind of a scary thing. And I think in my own life, I've walked that myself. Seen myself, the warrior of God, you know, but an orphan warrior of God, it's just an, it's kind of a mess. Now let's talk about the voice of God. That's what I started out talking about today, the voice of God and how that relates to this identity that we have in Jesus Christ as both sons and warriors. So how does the voice come to sons? To his sons, he speaks affirmation, love, encouragement, and support. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, says the father to the son as he launches out in his ministry. And later, before he faced the cross, once again, the words of the Father come to him. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased in him. And as sons of the Father, you will find that he will speak over and over, if only you would listen with your ears of your spirit and your heart. I love you. I got your back. I'm on your side. I've missed you, my son. Come and spend more time with me. I love you. I love hanging out with you. I even like you. <laughs> That's what surprised me the most. God likes me? Are you kidding? But he does. And he, that's what he speaks to sons. I hope that's what you speak to your sons and daughters. Words of encouragement and love. I mean, we've, let's, we won't go into the whole thing. You've got to discipline them, but anyway, it, at the end of the day. So, how does the voice of God come to the warriors? To his warriors, God speaks commands and he give, gives orders. Look at the example we saw at the very beginning, Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, the Bible doesn't explain how he said that or what, by what means he communicated, but the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit spoke, communicated with, got his message across clearly to these leaders of the church. Now, we'll find a bunch of times in the scriptures where God said, the Holy Spirit said, and there's no indication of exactly how that message came. 
the, clear, the important thing is that they got the message. God communicated and they received that communication. So <clears throat> it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Most of the messages from God to his people in the Bible seem to be commands and orders from the king. To both sons and daughters, there's a third sort of communication that God gives. To his sons, he gives encouragement. To the warriors, he gives commands and orders and direction. But to to all of us, he gives revelation. He speaks to us hidden information, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic understanding. These communications aren't necessarily words of love. They're not necessarily commands but they are information that we need to know as when Daniel was fasting and the Holy Spirit said, Daniel, let me lay these things out for you. Here's what's gonna happen. Not necessarily words of encouragement, not necessarily a command, but revelation. And that revelation is open to all of us. This is not in my notes, but I think it's important to share. I will tell you one thing about how we hear the voice of God. Does anybody know what's in my hand? We could probably take 10 minutes and you could guess. You'll never guess it. You, you cannot know what's in my hand unless I open my hand. That's called revelation. When the father, by the way, ta-da. The only thing I had in my pocket was my iPhone and it's too big to hide in my hand so I didn't, anyway. Revelation is where God takes things that are hidden that you can't possibly figure out with your own wisdom or understand through human wisdom. He reveals them to you. So if you wanna know the voice of God, I would ask you to seek after revelation. Father, I ask that you would yield unto me revelation. Lord, I ask that you would just peel back your heart and show me what's in your heart, Lord God. And if you sincerely ask God that and sincerely begin to seek that, he will give you revelation. It will increase and it will increase and it will increase, especially if you are obedient, especially if you walk as a son. Now, our vision in Antioch as a church is to awaken, equip, and send. Now, regarding that first part, the awakening part, we have spent a lot of time and probably need to spend more time on awakening people to their identity as sons. I just feel it. God is, is saying, let's even go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further. Let's awaken people to their identity as sons and warriors. Because that is your identity. So today I am asking the Holy Spirit to awaken each one of us in the name of Jesus Christ fully to our identity as sons and warriors who obey the King. Come, Holy Spirit, awaken your people in the name of Jesus Christ to their true identity as sons and warriors of the King.
Let's look at the mission of the king's army. The primary mission of the king's army is that God's army would invade enemy territory. Jesus is the king who has come to the earth to defeat the devil and his kingdom and to establish the kingdom of God. Jesus defeated the devil when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. The war is won and yet the battle rages. Oscar Kuhlman wrote about the two most crucial days of World War II, D-Day and V-Day. In any war, there's always a battle that determines the outcome of the war. In the Napoleonic Wars, it was probably Waterloo. In the Civil War, it was Gettysburg, probably. The war and the bloodshed continue after both of these watershed battles, but after each, the ultimate outcome was clear. There was no doubt who would win. D-Day was such a, the beginning of a battle in World War II. On that June day when the Allied forces landed on the beaches in Normandy, everyone on both sides knew that this was the day when it would all be decided. If the Allies could establish a beachhead and maintain it, they would win the war. If the Nazis could drive the Allies back into the sea, they would probably win. The Allies established the beachhead. There was no doubt from that moment who would win. However, between D-Day and V-Day, when the war actually ended, more lives were lost than at any other time of the war. The, battle, the, the war was determined. We knew who would win. It was foreordained. It was destined to be. It was going to come to that conclusion and yet more lives were lost, more casualties were taken between those two days than at any other time. Now between D-Day and V-Day of God's kingdom, there are a lot of casualties. The decisive battle was fought on the cross over 2,000 years ago. Satan cannot win this war for he has lost that decisive battle for the salvation of our souls. Jesus the victor through this incredible sacrifice won that battle, won that war for all time. But until that day when Christ hands the kingdom to his Father, we will live in a fallen world where the innocent are murdered, where loved ones struggle with sickness, <laughs> where pain and disappointment and fear and frustration often seem to have the upper hand but I tell you, in the name of Jesus, the war is over. We are advancing into enemy-held territory. And I know you look around you and you see the suffering of the people. It's because it's still enemy-occupied territory. But you know what? God's got a solution. See, like the movie Band of Brothers, we are a band of brothers and sisters serving in the invasion army of God that is advancing through enemy-held territory. 
Jesus is using us to take back the people in houses and in neighborhoods and in cities and in nations from the domain of darkness. And he transfers using us, them, to the kingdom of God. I want to draw your attention to several scriptures. Luke chapter 9. Nine, one and two, he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all the de- demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Luke chapter 10, the next chapter over. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. That would be verses one through nine, but we're just gonna kind of skip through that. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him in every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come to you. It's come near to you. See, Jesus sent his followers to rescue humanity and to untie them from the devil's enslavement. He gave them one message and one activity One message to preach, one activity to perform. The one message he told them to preach was proclaim the kingdom of God. Teach them, preach to them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And this one activity, engage, Engage their pain, engage their suffering, engage their oppression, engage their enslavement using the power of the Holy Spirit, which to them at that time, Jesus temporarily gave them, I'm giving you my power and my authority. And to us now, he gives that full time in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who has come to baptize us in his power, to fill us with his presence and to do the things through us that God himself has called us to do. Faithful is he who calls you, and he himself will bring it to pass through you. Now look at the scripture, Luke 10, 17 and 18. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. See, Jesus saw Satan defeated and thrown down. But notice that Satan's fall from heaven was due to the ministry of his followers. His followers went out armed with his authority and his power and and dragged Satan out of heaven. He, He fell, he was defeated. His house was plundered. By those who followed Jesus using the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Satan's kingdom was being crushed and retaken for the kingdom of God through Jesus' followers. And this is still his plan. His plan on January of 2014 is to retake the earth through his followers who are redeemed from the domain of darkness by his blood and transferred from control of that kingdom to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus said, exactly as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Full of the Holy Spirit, preaching the message of the kingdom and performing the works 
of the kingdom as we invade enemy territory. As Jesus was sent and walked the earth and, and demons fled whenever he came near and diseases were healed and people were taught the word of God, the message of the kingdom was proclaimed to them. All these things that Jesus did He said, I am sending you to do the very same thing, armed with the same power. The same Holy Spirit that operated in me will operate through you. A flag proclaiming, this territory captured for the kingdom of God is planted wherever and whenever humans yield their own wills to the will of God through the message of the kingdom and the indwelling presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Wherever you walk in this city, proclaiming that message and carrying his presence and releasing his presence, a flag is planted in that geographic territory, in those houses, in those neighborhoods, proclaiming this territory is captured for the kingdom of God. Our battle cry and our prayer is this, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to have to hurry through this. I hope you don't mind. Jesus the king commands his army. Will we obey his commands? Look with me at Joshua chapter 5 verse 6. See, the Colorado Springs is largely still under the kingdom of darkness, even though there are more churches than many other places. Why is that? Because the church doesn't fully understand and walk in her identity as both sons and warriors. The church individually and collectively does not really or often obey the commands of the king. And because of this, a lot of this territory in Colorado Springs has not been retaken. It's not been plundered. Because God has said, I want my church to do that. And by and large, his church isn't walking as sons and warriors, and his church isn't obeying his commands. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't an indictment of the church. This is just holding out a future for, for us to walk. This is holding out a vision for us to hold in front of us as we go forth. Joshua chapter 5, 6, the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all that nation, that is, the men of war, who came out of Egypt perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Our kingdom destinies are gonna dwindle or perish if we do not obey the commands of the king. If you're truly a son and you're truly a warrior, you will not disobey God for every son wants to please his father and every warrior wants to please the commander who enlisted him. Let me, let me come to a time of conclusion here. Look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 23 and 24. Now these are the numbers of the divisions equipped for war who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord The sons of Judah who bore shield and spear were 6,800 equipped for war. 
Now, now look at the scripture. Number one, the sons who were armed and equipped as warriors came to David. Two, according to the word of the Lord or at the command of the Lord to join the army, that would three, overthrow the kingdom of Saul so that it would become the kingdom of David. Sons and warriors, listen to the command of the Lord and join the army that would overthrow the kingdom of Saul so that it would become the kingdom of David. Now, in the world today, I believe that, number one, you, me, sons of the Father, armed and equipped as warriors, are going to come to Jesus. Two, according to the command of the Father, obeying the voice of the Lord to join his army, so that, three, this army will overthrow the kingdom of Satan so that it becomes the kingdom of God. Now look, as we do that, we who are sons and warriors, as we walk in this identity, listen to the voice of God as he sends us forth to take our part in the army, as we come to Jesus and say, what are your orders, Lord? I, I am in your army. I stand at attention and await and listen. And then we obey that he will use this army to capture territory in Colorado Springs that belonged under the rulership of Satan and transfer it, plant a flag, this is the kingdom of God. So this is, this is what the end of the war is gonna look like. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were heard loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. We used to sing that song. The kingdoms of this world, they have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Oh, we used to sing that sometimes 20 minutes. Understanding and seeing the vision that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and they shall reign for, he shall reign forever and ever. Now look, any commander has a strategic end in mind when he fights. He then wisely uses the resources that are available to him in a way that is destined to help him accomplish that end. It's called strategy. And this is the strategic end that is planned by Jesus Christ who is the commander of the armies of God. This is the king's strategy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. This is really important. This is, this is one that just hammers my heart when I think about it and read about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then the end will come. Christ will destroy all rule, all authority, all power. That's all those things that belong to the enemy. He will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. At the end, Jesus Christ will have seized all of the territory with his army that belonged to the ruler of this world. And he will take that authority, that right to rulership that he has regained using his army, and he will come to the Father and he will hand it to him. And the resources he has gathered to wisely use are you and me followers of Jesus. Now in our life group meeting last 
leaders meeting last Tuesday, I think it was last Tuesday, the Lord gave me a clear vision when we were talking about things. I saw this vast plain stretching out, flat as a board, surrounded by mountains, but the plain went on and on and on. And at one end of this vast plain, sort of a valley, was this huge throne. And sitting upon this throne in regal authority was God the Father, gazing out across this scene. And standing before him was Christ the King. And Jesus the King, standing before him, was backed by an uncountable number of men and women who were standing at attention, bearing the full armor of God, the helmet, the breastplate, the sandals, the sword, standing at attention behind their king. And Jesus cried out, Father, it is finished! And, and, and when I saw that, I thought of Jesus on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. And I think that, I believe that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him this scene at the end of the age where he saw himself standing before the Father with all these territories that had belonged to Satan and handing that captured territory to the Father saying, it is finished. You know what, I really want to be standing at attention in my spiritual armor behind my king at that last day. I bear this vision in mind. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night now, I want to be standing at attention behind my king having done all that is within my heart to obey him, to listen to his orders, to obey those orders, that I could be counted among those who stand behind him and see him say, it is finished, and hand that to the Father. Is there anything in your heart that wants that? Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. Father, our hearts do cry out for that in the name of Jesus. There's one thing that we need to do at this time. (laughs) He will tell us others, I'm sure. We need to obey the voice of the Lord. When the Lord says attention to orders, we need to stand in attention, be quiet and listen. And not just hear those orders, we need to obey those orders. There's something in my life that God wants me, he said, Doug, I've talked to you about this. Get that out of your life. Change your life in this way. I mean, there's several things related to making my body more healthy. I stopped working out when I got out of the army. God says, what are you doing? You want to last the whole time that I have measured for your life? You need to start doing push-ups again and sit-ups. You need to start walking and running. You need to get back in shape. And I've just been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. 
mean, is, is that sort of thing. The Lord's been talking to me and I've just been ignoring his voice. I, I, didn't, I didn't miss the voice of the Lord. I heard him. I know what he said. I just haven't been obeying him. How about you? Don't say anything out loud, but I don't want to know. You know, that's between you and God. Is there something, who knows what it could be? Jerry Fristo talked to me the other day and he said, you know, when I was in Houston, I used to, uh, I had two restaurants and I was the pastor of those two restaurants. I would go there and I would hang out and the people got to know me and I got to know them. I got to know the staff. You know, I'd order something, I'd tip them pretty big, but they started coming to me. People started coming to me and, te- and asking me questions about God. And I started telling them about their lives and I started telling them about the kingdom of God and I would pray for people. I became the pastor of those two restaurants. Maybe God is saying something like that to you. It's time this year for us to go forth into the city. This year we are going to launch forth into the city. It's time for that. But don't do that on your own. Listen to God. He will tell you and, and, and do the thing that he asks and tells you to do. And, you, and you, will, you will be able to stand behind him at that day and say, Father, I've done all that I could. I, I've, I've listened to your voice and I've obeyed it. I've launched out into the city at your command. And then this church of 300 plus strong right now and more later are gonna be invading and invading and invading and flags are gonna be planted. Flags are gonna be planted in houses in your neighborhood. They're gonna be planted in neighborhoods. They're gonna be planted in city blocks. They're gonna be pounded, planted in governmental offices. But we must listen and we must obey. So I would ask you to do this. Would you stand with me? quiet before the Lord for a moment. If you need to go, I understand that and just, just quietly slip on out. I know kickoff is in about 50 minutes. My intention was to stop at 12, but what can you say? Just quietly listen for a moment and get that thing in mind that he's been talking to you about. Let's just be quiet. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you here in the name of Jesus. You are welcome here.
I want to stand behind you. With a clean conscience and joy in my heart in that last day. Lord, you have spoken to me about and then just between you and the Lord, just go ahead and list that thing to him. Lord, my heart is to obey you as a good soldier. And my heart is to please you as a son. But I need your help. So come, Holy Spirit. Pour yourself out through me. Give me the strength to obey. Jesus.